Our New Testament passage today from Luke 13 is a passage that to me is really a passage of hope. It's a passage of what it means to have hope, to live with hope, to have hope be something that dwells deeply within all of us. And indeed, when you read the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's very clear that you and I, as people of faith, are meant to be marked by hope. We are to stand out as hopeful people in this world. That's supposed to be one of the, the marks of our faith that makes us different. That despite all that's difficult in our world, despite that all that's difficult in our life, that we are to be able to draw upon this hope, to not give in to cynicism, to not give in to the idea that things can never change, to not give in to negativity, to not give in to bitterness, to not give in to despair. We are meant to be marked as people of hope. But what the Bible also makes clear is that hope is not something that is just quick, easy, or automatic. That real hope, genuine hope, is something you have to journey towards. It's something that is a process. And the scripture passage we're going to look at today is inviting us to take a journey towards hope. Now in this passage that I'm about to read, it's a healing passage from Luke chapter 13. It's where a woman who has had a physical ailment uh, shows up on the Sabbath at the temple in her small village and she encounters Jesus and Jesus heals. And as you'll hear, much of the passage is about the Pharisees who are upset that Jesus is not following the religious tradition of how they teach the Sabbath and then the crowd is responding in joyous praise of this healing. But but what I want us to do is to take a second to really enter into what this passage is about, to take this journey of hope. And that's to take a second to think about this woman and how her story is our story. You can't take a journey to real hope until you do that. And so we're going to, in a second, do a kind of exercise and then engage the scripture to help us to take this journey to hope. But what I want you to know is that you'll hear in these few short verses, her physical ailment is described in three different ways. Luke, the physician who wrote this, it really wants us to understand uh, what this condition is. Describes her condition in three ways. He first, he says that she is crippled. He then goes on to say and to describe in more detail that not just is she crippled, but it says that she is living life bent over. And the third way, he says, is that it is not possible for her to stand up straight. She is crippled. She is living life bent over. She is unable to stand up straight. And to take this journey to hope, we need to see how this is our story as well. For ourselves, our families, and in this world. So the exercise that I'm going to invite you to do uh, is, in just a second, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to just kind of think about some questions that I'll pose to you as your eyes are closed as to how you can take this journey to hope. And then as your eyes remain closed, we'll just go into reading scripture text, okay? And see how God might speak to us today about hope. So at this point, I invite you to close your eyes and to be still and to center yourself, to slow yourself down. 
And to think about how you walk in here today. To think about what you bring in here as your joys, your nervousness, your sadness. To pay attention to yourself right now and what's inside of you. And as you do so, I want you to consider how it is that you might feel crippled today. In what aspects or parts of your life do you feel as though you are living life bent over, burdened, and unable to stand up straight and tall? Maybe it's through something physical. Maybe it's through your work or your lack of work. Maybe it's through a broken relationship. Maybe it's through feeling lonely and distant from God. Maybe a mental illness or an addiction. But as you bring yourself and your story into this time of worship today, what has you living bent over and unable to stand up straight and tall? Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight, and when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, but not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? And when he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Lord, I pray that you would encounter each and every one of us today in our places where we are burdened, living bent over, not able to stand up straight and tall, and that we would hear your gospel today, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So one of the things that unites all of us in this room Every single one of us. What unites us with all who are worshiping online. Every single one of us is united by the fact that in some way, if we're honest, if we're paying attention, we can relate to this woman's story being our story. In some way or another, there are aspects and areas of our life where we feel as though we are living bent over, where it is difficult to stand up straight. And yet we are also all unified by the call of God in the midst of that to be people of hope. That hope is real. And to have hope abiding within us. Now, when we talk about hope, it's important that we define what it is we're talking about. Because sometimes in life, and sometimes I've encountered this in the church, 
hope can be this forced fake positivity, okay? Uh, one writer describes it as plastic Christianity, where you're just kind of smiling, and it's like, no matter how hard it is, I'm just smiling, and things are good, and, 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 and I'm going to stay peppy, and, and I'm going to stay positive, because I want everybody to remember, when God closes the door, he opens a window. Everybody got that? When God closes the door, he opens a window. Uh, and so we just kind of stay up, and, and don't go down. Take that frown and turn it upside down, because we're just going to be hopeful, positive people. That is not biblical hope. And the reason it's not biblical hope is because that kind of attitude minimizes pain and suffering. I'm grateful that as Jesus was dying on the cross, no one looked at him. It's like, take that frown, turn it upside down. Let's stay positive here. When God closes the door, he opens a window. You minimize people's suffering and pain when we don't allow to go to ourselves of difficulty and sadness. And that is not necessarily what the Bible talks about in terms of that you and I are to be people of hope. Hope in the Bible is not about avoiding suffering or hardship. And it's not about just staying happy in the midst of it all. Hope, biblically, is choosing to believe in God's response to suffering. I want to say that again because it's really important we understand what we're talking about. Hope is not just staying chipper in the midst of hard times and telling others to as well. Hope is choosing to believe in God's response to suffering. And God's response to suffering is the declaration that it will be redeemed that it shall not be the end of our story, of your story, of my story. And trusting in that response of God is hope. Now, today and this week, we are going to focus ourselves on a symbol of hope. You're going to see it quite often today. You're going to see it actually quite often this week. And I want this symbol to, every time you see it, to remind yourself that no matter how you feel like you are living life bent over, no matter where you feel that it's difficult to stand up straight, that you can choose hope in the midst of all that's going on. And the symbol that I want us to focus ourselves and that we're going to see this week is the most universal symbol of Christianity. It's this. It's the cross. And we're going to have no visual symbols on the screens this week. There'll be no slides, no pictures, no videos. Uh, today, as you go, I want you just to focus yourselves on this window. Focus yourselves on the cross. Because the cross is many things, but the cross is certainly a symbol of hope. Now, you know, people in the Roman world would be horrified that we decorate our buildings with crosses, that we have jewelry made of, that when we give people jewelry, it's like, oh, I love you. Here's a, here's, a, here's a ring with a cross on it. Here's a necklace with a cross on it. People in the Roman world would have been horrified by this because this symbol is like the worst thing human beings have come up with. It is a symbol of torture. It is a symbol of agony. It is a, a, a symbol of death. It is a symbol of, of oppression. It is a symbol of fear. It is a symbol of injustice. This was the worst that the Romans could come up with of how to torture, to kill, and to instruct fear. But for us, 
It's an appropriate thing for us to give away because we understand that while all of those things are true, what we believe hope is, is that God responds to suffering and that that is captured in Jesus, that as he died, yes, on the cross, that cross is empty, the tomb is empty. We are a people that see that God redeems, that suffering on the cross was not the end of Jesus' story. Being people of hope isn't being chipper. It's about uh, understanding and choosing to believe in how God responds to suffering. That's what hope is. So the cross symbolizes that. Now, this week as you go on and as you sit here today, I want us to actually look through this passage at how hope exists in two very important ways. Two ways you can think of this week. And these two ways are symbolized by the two lines of the cross. Okay? The first line of the cross that I want us to pay attention to that I think is captured in this uh, scripture passage is the vertical line. Now I know for you engineers and architects here, I am speaking your love language at this point. <laughs> for any other Davidson grads or liberal arts grads who were philosophy majors like me and you think you know what I'm talking about, the vertical line is the up and down one. It's the long one here, okay? And that's the first line of the cross. It's the up and down line. And when you see that, when we think about that on the cross, I want you to think of that vertical line being and symbolizes the connection between heaven and earth. The connection between the creator and the creation. The connection between God and you. Because when we are feeling like we are walking bent over and unable to stand up straight, Part of how we lose hope is this kind of whispering that can come to us saying, God's not real. God doesn't care. God's forgotten about you. God's punishing you. God's paying attention to other things right now. It is very easy to lose hope because we lose sight of that vertical line. And it's important if we are to have hope to let that vertical line remind us that that is not true. That God has not forgotten you, God has not abandoned you, God is not punishing you, God is not ignoring you, God is not favoring other people rather than you. Paul writes that we have to remember that that connection is real, that we are in Christ and Christ is in us and that God is woven into the DNA of our lives and into creation. In the book of Romans it says that nothing in this world, nothing at all, neither height nor depth nor things present nor things to come, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. All of that is a declaration of saying, remember that vertical line. Remember that nothing can separate you from God. And if you believe that, then you can choose to believe that we can trust in a God who responds to suffering, who responds to hardship. It took 18 years for this woman before she was healed, but her suffering wasn't the end of her story. God redeemed her suffering. It took three days after the cross where Jesus lay broken and battered and dead in the tomb, and yet he was raised again from the dead. The same God that healed that woman healed Jesus and brought him back. And that God is a part of your story and the story of this world. That God is the Alpha and the Omega from beginning and end, from everlasting to everlasting. And that God is a part of your life and your story as well. I think what we see in this passage is that this woman, whose name we don't even know, is a hero and example to us of what real hopeful living looks like. Because for 18 years, guys, 18, think about this, 
18 years, she is in many ways here defined by this disability, defined by her being crippled, defined as someone who is living life bent over, defined as someone who can't stand up straight. And I imagine that as she walked those 18 years, there were all kinds of questions in her mind. Where is God? How can God be doing this? How is God working in my neighbor's life and doesn't seem to be ignoring me? And yet there's something in this woman that doesn't give in to cynicism, doesn't give in to despair. Week after week after week, Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath, she is making her way to the temple. And it may have been painful as everybody else is just strolling as a family and kind of walking in and seeing happy and, and everything looked good in her life, that she was walking in pain, bent over, maybe only be able to crawl. And yet, week after week after week, she's there. She keeps showing up. You know how many Sabbaths 18 years is? That's 936 weeks. 936 weeks where she's just showing up in the place where God resides and refusing to give in to the idea that my life can't change. And then one day, as she painfully makes her way, that vertical cord of the cross was proven true in her story because she encounters Jesus who heals her and heals where she is crippled, where she is living life bent over, where she can't stand up straight. The same God that healed her is connected to you. That vertical line of the cross should symbolize that. If you pay attention to those places of hurt and disappointment where you can't stand up straight, I know that it might feel that you can hardly walk, but I urge you today as people of hope to keep walking. You might feel while everyone else is walking, all you can do is crawl. And if that's the point where you are, I understand that. But I urge you to keep crawling. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't give in to the idea that things can't change. This woman is a hero for us, an example to us, that hopeful living is the determination to believe that that line is true. So when you see the cross this week, let that vertical line remind you of that. But the second way that I want us to think of hope, and the second thing that's really important in this passage, if you and I are to really have hope in our lives that last, is the horizontal line. Again, philosophy majors, the sideways one, okay? The smaller one. And, uh, and the horizontal line, I think, reminds us that hope is only truly discovered and lived out in community, not individually. Now, why do I say that? The horizontal line connects us with one another in community. It's about reaching out to each other. And a reason that I think that's important for hope is that when you read this passage or when you heard me read this passage, there's this contrast, right? Jesus heals this woman and the Pharisees start debating and grumbling and talking about how Jesus is breaking the rules. And that's contrasted with the crowd that erupts in joy. Now, it's important for us to remember when we see this contrast that the writer makes it clear that these events take place in the Galilean region still. Jesus hasn't begun the journey to Jerusalem. And so he's in the region of Galilee, all around the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel, and these were tiny little fishing villages, like maybe just a few hundred people, maybe at most a couple of thousand people. And, and many of you are from small towns. You know what that life is like. Everybody knows everybody, and everybody knows every detail about everyone else's life. There are no secrets in those sort of communities. 
You were born in these communities. You were raised in these communities. You raised your own families in these communities. You died in these communities. And everybody knew who you were, except for one group, the Pharisees. The Pharisees may have been around there and lived there, but they were separate from it because they couldn't interact with ordinary people because they would be made unclean. And so Pharisees weren't a part of daily life of communities. They were only encountered on days. They were meant to think about themselves and their own cleanliness and their own separation from. And when you are living a life that's only about yourself, when you live a life where you're constantly thinking about yourself and your status and your rules and and your way of being, you start to live an unbelievably narcissistic life. And that's important in our world today because sociologists tell us that one of the hallmarks of our culture, Western culture, is growing and extreme individualism. It's about me and my dreams and my life. And that's what I am thinking about. And when we live in what we talked about two weeks ago as a sort of small way of being, just my world, my life, my way of doing things, what you see happens is that even when these Pharisees see a healing, they can't rejoice in it. Because somehow they've become so focused in themselves that another person's healing is somehow about them. And it's about that Jesus acting outside of their control and, the, the, you know, that it's threatening their power and everything else. And so they respond like they're the point. The crowd is different. Now, the crowd haven't been separated from this woman. They all knew her. They knew that she couldn't stand up straight. They knew that she had been struggling for 18 years. They had watched her 936 Sabbaths make her way to the temple. I bet they had been uh, people that had prayed with her. I bet they were people who helped her out in her daily living when she was having difficult times. And when they in community see a healing, they rejoice. It's important to stop and think about today, just as an aside, When you see God do something great in another person's life, how do you respond to that? Do you rejoice? Or is there a part of you that feels jealous? That immediately returns to your own story? It's it's an important sort of spiritual barometer today just to ask yourself. When you see God do something in someone else's life, are you more like the Pharisees or more like the crowd? Most of us are probably some combination of that. But the crowd rejoices. Now, you're sitting there going, well, this is about hope. Now you're talking about rejoicing. What does that have to do with hope? What does that horizontal line have to do? Well, here's the thing, guys. When you can rejoice and see God working in the life of somebody else, it is a witness to you. Think about, I want you to think about this for a second. It's a witness to you. Because for 18 years, she had come to the synagogue, and yet this time, Jesus heals her. And when you see that, when you rejoice in that, when you see the miracle of that, there's a seed that's planted. And the seed is, I wonder what God might do next in your life, in your life, or maybe just maybe next time in my life. It becomes a witness to you of what God can do, and it plants seeds of hope. The horizontal line can remind us in witness that the vertical line is solid and true, and it gives us hope because we can trust 
in how God responds to suffering. Do you see that? If you can be like the crowd and enter into it, it allows you to have hope that that same God's going to work in your life with whatever is causing you not to be able to stand up straight. People in individualized lives are robbed of that. The Pharisees are robbed of that, and it diminishes their ability to be people of hope. The vertical line and the horizontal lines of the cross are important. Now, I want us to end today and close today um, by not just talking about this. Uh, people in church, and this is true especially sometimes of Presbyterians, we can kind of like analyze this and academically read about it and quote a theologian about it and then kind of go, okay, we all understand hope and we all leave here and we, you know, we, we analyze hope today and we broke it down and we looked at the Greek and, and that means we're experts in hope. And it doesn't necessarily. We gotta practice hope. Hope is something we choose and we choose to do so in community. And this week, our community has a unique opportunity to do that. There's a lot that's going on. As we said, everyone here has something that makes them feel as though they are crippled, that they can't stand up straight, that, that they are burdened. We all have that. And so we pray for that. We have prayer lists. We have prayer ministries. We have opportunities because we believe in prayer and that God responds in prayer. And a number of months ago, we called this church to pray, to pray for a family, uh, a pray for a family of Gregory Neff. Now, you may remember on my Christmas Eve homily, and I don't want to pretend that any of you remember what I talked about two weeks ago, much less in December. It would depress me to hear how little you remember about this. But regardless, what you may remember from the Christmas Eve homily is that we shared the story about this little boy who at age two and a half had gone in for some tests and been diagnosed shockingly with a rare form of cancer, two and a half years old. We talked about what it meant on Christmas Eve to be the kind of community that was with them, that prayed with them, that bore witness that God was with them in this. If I had asked Gregory's parents that day, what causes you not to be able to stand up straight? I think we all know what their answer would have been. In the months and months since his diagnosis, we have prayed for this little boy. We have prayed for his two older sisters. We have prayed for his mom and dad. He's had to go through treatments that a two-and-a-half-year-old shouldn't have to go through. He's had to be in Fort Worth for certain treatments that could work with him uh, for long stretches of time. His family has been apart. He's not been able to do the things that you dream of your child doing. This week, they're back in Austin, the Neffs are. And there's still treatment left to go, but it's treatment that's here. The most invasive, the most difficult part of the treatment in this leg of the journey was done, and they needed to have scans to see what effect this treatment had had on their son. And on Wednesday, I was contacted by the parents and have permission to share with you that while the chance of relapse is real, and there is still prayers that we need to offer for Gregory and for his family, the scans came back showing that as of today, his body is completely cancer-free. Yeah. 
And we are grateful for doctors, and we are grateful for nurses, and we are grateful for oncologists who work through this, but we are grateful to a God who makes that medicine and that knowledge possible, whose healing hand has been upon this little boy, and he is now getting ready to go and, a, and start preschool again. He can start playing with his sisters again. He can start playing with his friends again, and he can be back here in Austin. And it's important today that we realize that this isn't just a healing story from 2,000 years ago, but this is our story. And that it reminds us what it means to be people of hope. Because all of us have burdens. All of us have places where it is difficult to know how to stand up straight anymore. But this week, May this be a symbol when you see on steeples as you're driving around Austin, as you see on pieces of jewelry in your family members and in your friends. May this remind you that hope is real. The vertical line reminds us that we are connected to God and nothing can separate that. May the horizontal line remember us that we experience that in community and that we are witness to how God works in the life of the other and it can fill us with hope for what God might do for us today. And may we go through this broken world limping and crawling as we might, but may we go through it with hope. Because God is not finished writing your story yet. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that your hope would infuse into all of us. And that the woman who encountered Jesus and was healed, that Jesus himself, as he was raised from the dead, that that same God is a part of our stories this day. May we choose to believe in that and have hope that cannot be extinguished. We lift this prayer up for each of us in the name of Jesus. Amen.